wonderful Christmas series, Genesis chapter 31. We'll be starting in verse 22. And as you're turning there, getting your Bibles ready, uh, just a reminder for some of you who might not have heard, it was my dad's 90th birthday this week. So dad's back there. And so, thanks, Dad. What's crazy is I, I turned 60 this year. I know I look a lot younger. I know. Um, so, yeah, so, but, uh, you know, to think that he's been my, my dad for 59 and a half years, which is just awesome. So thank you, Dad, for everything. You've been an incredible blessing. And for those watching online, just a reminder, we're having communion at the end of the service. And if you want to get some bread and some juice available uh, to celebrate with us, that'd be great. And for those who are here, uh, if you're in need of a, a gluten-free option, we do have uh, a gluten-free station uh, at the Connect Center, so you can grab that uh, sometime before we take communion today. So let's take a look at Genesis 31, starting in verse 22. This is a, a large passage uh, again, a lot of times in the book of Genesis, we're looking at huge narrative panels. And for us to understand the import of the whole discussion, we need to look at the whole panel. So we have 33 verses of awesomeness to look at today. And um, I'm not going to shrink back from the, that. This, you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's Oakwood Bible Church. So we're going to focus on the Bible. So verse 22 of 31. So here we go. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob, and now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you've done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. And now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you've hotly pursued me? For you fell through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that, we, that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you, you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild bees, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. 
God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Yegar, Sahudutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said that this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord wash between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you'll not pass over that, this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. And the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning, Laban rose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. May the Lord add his blessing the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, I hope all of you got exactly what you wanted for Christmas. Uh, I know I got some wonderful things. But uh, every year for the last uh, 30 plus years with my kids, my kids would go, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And if you were to ask them right now, if my girls came in the room right now, you asked them, what, what would Brad want for Christmas? They'll tell you what I want for Christmas because I say this every time. They ask me, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I'll say, I want peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's what I want. I say that every time because that's what I've always wanted. I think that's what we've all wanted. As we look at our news, we look at the headlines this last week, it's been a rather emotional week if you've been following the news. First of all, we've had another outburst of unprecedented domestic violence. This past Thursday, a California man drove his family, himself, along with his new Tesla over a cliff in California. And only by God's grace did all of them survive, but now the father is under arrest. On the same day, a man in Utah killed his wife, his five children, ages 4 to 17, his mother-in-law and himself. And you're, you're kidding me. Eight people gone. On Friday, a six-year-old in Virginia purposely shot his teacher in class. In our neck of the woods, just yesterday, another man murdered his wife and two children and then took his own life up in Allegan. Perhaps you heard of that. At all of this, the authorities finally apprehended this week the man who appears to be responsible for the killing of the four Idaho, Idaho college students in cold blood. Sure, your sins will find you out. They found him. And then there was the conflict on the floor of the House of Representatives in the wee hours of Friday night as things almost came to blows over the unprecedented number of votes it took, 15 in all, to finally elect the Speaker of the House. Nothing like this has taken place since the days of the Civil War. I watched the whole thing. At one point, things almost came to blows. Beloved, we have an epidemic on our hands. Now, in the midst of all this, the country was moved to prayer for a young man who collapsed during the Bills-Bengals game on Monday. Maybe you saw that. As everyone paused for just a moment and prayed, even the ESPN analysts are praying on the screens. Unbelievable moment. Praying, praying for one young man that he might live one more day. Millions of dollars came in to support this charity work with children, which was awesome. Again, by God's grace, Mar Hamlin is still very much alive, for which all of us praise God and for which I, for one, am very thankful. But 
Here's the thing. If only our country would be as devoted to prayer over our families and our government leaders as all of us were this past week over just one man. I don't want to take anything back away from DeMar, but you understand we've got a problem. There are a lot of angry people in our world right now. It's very easy to become angry with people who oppose us, but it really just doesn't have to be that way at all. The truth is we are only as angry and outraged and frustrated as we allow ourselves to become. As we'll see in our study today, if we don't handle our anger and rage in a Christ-like way, our frustrations and bitterness will take control of our hearts and lives. If we aren't careful, our unresolved anger will consume us. We need to hear God's call for peace in our lives. We need to do everything we can to pursue peace with those who oppose us. In our message series, we've gone back to the beginning. We're looking at the book of Genesis. Over time, we've seen the threefold promise that God had made to Abraham for many descendants, a place to be in a promised land, an ongoing relationship of blessing to Abraham and his offspring. But two generations later, we have the, the making of this great nation that's taking shape through Jacob's line. And God continues to bless Jacob, even though he seems to be quite an edgy character, if you haven't noticed. But we follow the seed line of the Messiah that was promised in Genesis 3.15. There we were told that a child would be coming through the seed of a woman who would destroy evil once and for all. Today, once again, the seed line is threatened by Laban, who in his anger and rage determines to chase Jacob down and take back what he believes to be his. Now, sometimes it's good to understand where we are in all this. So we started up in Haran. God told Jacob to leave Haran and return to his homeland. So Jacob took his family, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed first for the hill country of Gilead. And Laban caught up with him there. You can see just north of Jerusalem is this area that we're talking about. Now, back in November, we learned that God told Jacob to leave Haran and to do these things. But today we will see how God intervenes and brings peace to this messed up family. I have three truths for your consideration this morning that we might learn how we can better walk in peace. But before we study, would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this moment that we can be in your word, that we can hear your truth. Lord, we desperately need to hear these things, not only as a country, but as people, that we might learn how to love people the way you've loved us. So Lord, we ask that you would be our guide that you'd be our teacher this morning as we humbly come before you and ask for your help. That these things might be cemented, these truths might be cemented in our hearts and lives. We might not just hear them, but we might walk in them. So Lord, thank you for this moment. Lord, we know there's no one here by accident, but by your sovereign hand, we are here together today to hear what you have for us. Help us not to miss anything. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, I encourage you to take those out. And here's the first truth of three that I have for you today. Unresolved anger will consume you. It will. Unresolved anger will consume you. This is what we're seeing in our culture right now. People who have anger issues that have not worked to resolve them. And now they're being consumed by it. First of all here, we don't need to include others in our rage. Sometimes we get really angry, we get frustrated, and our, our first inclination is, well, I, wanna, I want somebody else to come to that party with me, right? I want to have an anger party, and I need some more people to come. So I'm going to invite some other people. Look what happens here in this passage. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him. Okay, let's get some more people on this so we can go deal with this. Gossip, slander, attempts to get people on our side, selling your story for your benefit. You've seen it. You know, people air their dirty laundry on Facebook. <laughs> You've seen that? Blah, they just throw up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and now we get to see all this garbage that nobody wanted to see. But then people take sides. You know what happens. They eventually make up, and everybody's still angry at, you know, various parties and the dispute, but they've already made up, and now, you know, you don't know how to treat people when you finally see them. This is awful. We shouldn't be posting our dirty laundry <laughs> on any social media. It just makes things worse, and that's what Laban is doing here. But secondly, we don't need to relentlessly chase people down in our fury. 
I mean, this is, happens on the road all the time. You're driving down, somebody cuts you off, and oh, I've got to get past that guy. We get, we get kind of crazy. I'll show him he cut me off. And we get ridiculous. We don't need to relentlessly chase people down in our fury. Look what it says in verse 23. He took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days. That's a long time. I'm going to show him. He took my stuff. I'm going to fix his wagon, right? This is obviously an unhealthy obsession bent on payback and retribution, scheming, planning, plotting. Why don't we conclude that maybe God can handle this instead of taking things into our own hands? By the way, God can handle things way better than we can. He's really good at it. But unresolved anger will consume you. We don't need to include others in our rage. We don't need to relentlessly chase people down in our fury. And thirdly here, we don't need to become obsessed in our frustration. But that's what happens. We just start thinking about it, stewing about it. We don't let it go. Notice what it says in verse 23. He followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. He, he's pursuing him. He's, he's become a stalker. He's stalking him. Again, we just looked at the headlines, haven't we? we? We know what happens on our roadways as we drive around. What a tragic waste of energy and time and potentiality. What a tragic waste of life. All these people who committed these heinous crimes this past week made plans to commit these crimes. It wasn't like they just flew off the handle. The guy driving down the highway, he knew where he was on the highway to take that Tesla off the cliff. Everybody knew anybody goes off that cliff, nobody survives. That was his goal. He knew exactly what he's doing. The guy who murdered the four students, he knew exactly what he's doing. He'd been planning that for months. They've got to, they got to tra- they track them everywhere. What a waste of time. What a waste of life. They all knew what they were going to do. They became obsessed with their delusion of murder and retribution. Again, I ask you, are you a person who can't shut down your anger and frustration? If you can't, you need to get help. You need to talk to somebody who can help you work through those things. Get that help if you need it. You understand what I'm talking to you about today? This stuff matters. The Bible is just reflecting what we're talking about with what's going on in our culture. So first of all, your unresolved anger will consume you. Secondly, this morning, we need to hear God's call for peace in our lives. God's calling us to peace. So how does he do that? Well, through a passage like this where we see some really messed up things, we can learn by this negative example on how we should do things better and do things rightly. But first of all here, we need to be careful with our communication. We need to hear God's call for peace in our lives, being careful with our communication. Verse 24, but God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God is basically telling Laban to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you know people like that? You talk to them, and you're just like, they're just stabbing you the whole time. Like, hey, cut it out. Quit hurting me. It doesn't have to be that way. We need to be careful with our communication to such a degree that we're bringing healing to people. I love what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Don't let anything that resembles corruption come out of your face, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Man, I long to do that. I long to be able to talk to people and bring grace to them with whatever they're dealing with. I don't know about you, but don't we all, couldn't we all use some more grace? Please, we'd be gracious. At the marketplace, your McDonald's, they forgot your fries again. Could you maybe be gracious with that person? Hey, it's okay. I forget stuff too. Oh, that we'd be gracious. We'd be kind. 
Ken Stanley in his book, The Peacemaker, talks about this idea as we talk to each other. We need to not talk at people, but come alongside people. Talk from beside, not from above. He suggests in our communication that we should engage people and not make declarations. That's what we do a lot of times. I want to put my flag, you know, I'll show you where I stand. You better respect my little fiefdom here, my little castle. Don't cross that line because there'll be what for. Well, wouldn't it be better if we just engaged people and said, hey, how you doing? How can I be of help to you? How can we love each other? Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love. Oh, if we just do that, say what's true and do it in a way that brings love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We're, we're to mature in these things, Paul says. We are to grow up in every way into him, that is, into Christ, who is the head, into Christ. Ah, that we'd be more like Jesus. You guys, that's going to take work. That's taking responsibility. I think a lot of us are just kind of living our lives and, you know, we're just responding and reacting to whatever takes place in our world as opposed to purposely choosing to act rightly with holiness and care and love, compassion. We need to hear God's call for peace in our lives, being careful with our communication, but secondly, not badgering people with our inquisition and threats. This is what happens in our text. Doesn't Laban start badgering? He finally catches up with him, and I'm gonna, okay, man, this, here's your problem. He lays into Jacob. Verse 25, what does it say? And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like couches of the sword? Okay, look, no exaggeration. Can we just start with that? No exaggeration in our communication. We're working through things. Isn't that what's happening here? You've driven away my daughters like couches of the sword. Was there any sword? No. Were they captive? No. You're exaggerating, Laban. I told you a million times, never exaggerate. Okay, you've heard that one. But the minute you exaggerate something, nobody's listening to you anymore. It would have been better for him to say that, hey, I noticed you left and you didn't say goodbye. That would have been better. That would have been true. That would have been more appropriate. No exaggeration. Secondly here, no embellishing. By the way, this stuff's going to be really practical here. No embellishing, because that's what Laban does. He starts embellishing his story. We do this, oh... Don't say we don't. We do. We make ourselves conveniently the hero of the story. This is what he says, verse 27. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourines and lyre? Really? Really? That's how you would have done it? Probably not. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters for well? We don't need to embellish the account. Just say what's true. Just say how it is. And by the way, thirdly, no name calling. You, now you've done foolishly. Well, what's the root to foolishly? Fool. You've been a fool. Just call him a name. Fourthly here, no making threats. Notice what he says in verse 29. The big man Laban is. It's in my power to do you harm. You know, I could deal with you. The God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. By the way, how is he doing on God's counsel so far? <laughs> not so good. Not so good. No making threats. It's very easy to make a little veiled threat. If you do this, I'll do that. I'll show you. No guilt trips. Verse 30, notice what Laban goes on. And now you've gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. What's this guilt trip? You don't love me the way you love your dad. Oh, come on, dude. Get over it. We also saw this in verse 28, same kind of guilt trip. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Uh, what we see here really is what's known as passive aggressivism. I know none of you are, you're, you're not passive-aggressive, I know. But sometimes we are. And by the way, if you're not sure you are, got a little reminder on how you can tell. 
15 signs you're dealing with a passive-aggressive person. 15, there's probably more. Passive-aggressive persons, they make backhanded compliments. Secondly, they make wistful comments. Things like, well, I wish I could afford a, a new car like yours, but unfortunately, all my money goes to my student loans. That's a little guilt trip there. They play the victim. You know these people play the victim from time to time? It's not everybody else's fault why I'm this way. They procrastinate spitefully or fail to finish tasks. They kind of put things off. Yeah, I'll get to that eventually. They're just being passive aggressive. They exclude people intentionally. They don't let things go. They have a little scorecard. They kind of keep score. Well, hey, he zinged me last time. I got to make sure I zing them back. Watch me. They sabotage situations and relationships. They exhibit sullen behavior. You know, it's the old woe is me, everybody's out to get me. They're stubborn, can't change their mind, can't negotiate, can't work with them. They say yes when they mean no or the reverse, just to control you. They push your buttons or pull your lever, level, <laughs> levers, if I can say it. They push your buttons or pull your levers or they'll take your goat. I try to encourage people to not have buttons, levers, or goats. That way nobody can push them, pull them, or take them. Right? But if you got them, they're, people are going to take advantage of you. They'll give you the silent treatment. They're often sarcastic, arrogant. Last couple, they shift responsibility unfairly. This is really, this is your problem. You should have done it. And, of course, they sometimes pretend not to understand. Oh, really? I, I, don't have, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they know full well. Those are some examples. We've all seen it. I hope none of this is you. No guilt trips, no passive aggressiveness here. No idolatry. Notice what Laban points out. But why do you steal my gods? Now we understand finally we've got Jacob here who's trying to understand who the, the God of Israel is because he's going to be Israel proper. He's trying to understand the God of Abraham and Isaac. But Laban seems to be caught up in paganism. He's got a whole host of gods. And now they've been stolen. And by the way, we have all kinds of things that we hold in idolatry. By the way, anything that we are loving, fearing, or honoring more than God, that's an idol. Idols of the heart, those things that we think we need to have in order for us to be happy. If I only had blank, you know, fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. By the way, I just want to mention to you, what kind of a God is it that can be stolen? <laughs> yeah, not much. It's no God at all. James remind us, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We want stuff. We want things our way. And we get passionate about it. And if we're not careful, those passions will wage war in our very hearts, our very souls. James goes on. Now, remember, James, the brother of Jesus, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have. Why? Because you don't ask. Scripture all over the place. Ask, you shall receive. Knock, and the door will be open. We're, not, we're asking the wrong person. We should be asking him. And you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly, he says, to spend it on your passions. You're ultimately asking for what's in it for you. Instead of asking God what's in it for him, and ultimately what's in it for other people around you. Man, it's very easy to be all about us. And by the way, those people who are all about themselves, they'll end up all by themselves. But beloved, we need to hear God's call for peace in our lives, being careful with our communication, not badgering people with our inquisition and our threats. But thirdly here, we need to hear God's call for peace in our lives, fearing God and not man. Notice what happens here. In verse 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. At least he's honest for a moment. I was afraid. I'm afraid of you because you're crazy, Laban. But who should Jacob really be fearing? God. 
and not any man. I was afraid, for I thought that you'd take your daughters from me by force. This is a problem for us. We need to hear God's call for peace in our lives, fearing only God. Here, Jacob makes it clear who he's afraid of. But we should rather have a healthy, reverential fear and awe for who God is instead of fearing any person on this earth. But fourthly here, being careful not to overstate our position. Notice what Jacob does here inadvertently. He puts someone very dear to him at great risk. Why? Because he's mad. He's angry. He's frustrated. And sometimes when we're mad, angry, frustrated, we overstay things. Notice what he says. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. Oops. That could have gone really bad. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob, parenthetically here, our author tells us what's really going on here. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. She took them. Again, we speculated you know, a month ago, why did she take them? Is she an adulterer herself? We don't really know. Is she trying to keep Laban from being able to divine where they went? Well, found them anyway, so that didn't work. That's the case. Maybe she wanted the money. I, who knows? I'm sure they're valuable. But here, Jacob overstates his position. And we do that. We exaggerate and overstate things in, to our own peril, to our own detriment. But fifthly here, giving back what doesn't belong to us. Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. Why? Because Rachel's sitting on them. <laughs> he went out of Leah's tent and, and Rachel's, and now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. It's a great hiding spot. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. Oh, nice one. So he searched but did not find the household gods. What's wrong here? All she had to say is, you know, here they are. I got them. This isn't mine. All she needed to do was trust God with everything. But no, she adds to the complication. And by the way, sometimes in the midst of resolving conflict, you'll have some outside source that's making it more complicated. And you're like, come on, work with me here. Help us out. And she's no help at all at this moment. If only we'd say what's true. Simply stating what's true. Jacob, finally out of his frustration, starts sharing some thoughts with what's going on. Notice what it says in verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. In other words, you've looked through all my stuff and you didn't find anything. I'm, you've, I'm really hot now. You've really annoyed me. What is my offense, he says? What is my sin that you've hotly pursued me? For you've felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. Basically asking the question, what, I have, what have I ever done to you anyway? He makes it very clear, I've not taken from you. Verse 38, these 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. I'm going to think that's probably true. He mentions that he suffered financial loss. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. He's just saying what's true. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. He mentions how he suffered physically as a shepherd under Laban. There I was, by day the heat consuming me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. <clears throat> You've clearly taken advantage of me, he's saying. These 20 years I've been in your house. I serve you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you, you've changed my wages 10 times. You've taken advantage of me. I've suffered physically. I've suffered financially. I haven't taken anything from you, man. Beloved, we need to hear God's call for peace in our lives. Notice how Jacob finally admits, as he acknowledged God's work in the situation. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And so even with all this, we see God's hand of protection with this messed up relationship. 
It was at this moment Laban finally kind of wakes up from being ridiculous. And the third truth is simply this. We need to pursue peace with those who oppose us. And the first truth in this section is simply this. We need God's help in resolving our conflicts. All of us have conflicts, but a lot of times we're trying to solve things our own way, trying to get our, our own conclusions, trying to get what we want out of the situation instead of pursuing God. We need God's help desperately in resolving our conflicts. Verse 43, then Laban answered and said to Jacob, well, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children. See, he's just kind of like giving up here. The flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine, but what can I do? This day for these, my daughters are or for their children whom they've born. He finally concludes rightly. You need to move on, Laban. Your daughters are married, and they have their own household. By the way, he had forgotten something. All that he had really belonged to God anyway. He never had anything. But secondly here, we need to seek terms of agreement with our opponent, which Laban does in verse 44. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let's make an agreement. Covenant in the Hebrew here is berit. It's to, to make a cutting. Let's cut a deal and let it be a witness between you and me. Again, to do this, for us to come to agreements with people, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes deference and submission. It takes humility. This may take a willingness to lose face, as finally Laban seems to be willing to do. But sometimes there aren't people who are willing to lose face, and so they are stubborn, they're set in their ways, and no change, no reconciliation takes place. But beloved, we should set up, thirdly here, monuments of peace in our lives. That's exactly what they do. They set up a monument of peace. So Jacob took a stone and set up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap and they ate there by the heap. If you're familiar with Jews uh, laying stones, that's, that's, those are markers in the world for them. Gather these stones, let's make a heap. Laban called it Yegar Sahudutha. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. Yegar Sadahuta, if I can say it, Sahaduta, literally means a heap of witness in Aramaic, which would have been the language that our friend Laban would have been speaking. Galid in the Hebrew is the heap of witness. Mizpah is a watch post. For us, the ultimate monument the ultimate monument for everyone here in this room, no matter what you're going through, the ultimate marker, the ultimate thing we could set up to look upon is the cross. Because that's where we find our peace. And it comes by way of suffering. As Jesus lays down his life to bring about the peace and the reconciliation that we're all longing for, we too need to set up monuments of peace in our own lives, looking to the cross of Christ. But fourthly here, we need to seek mutually beneficial terms with our opponent. Again, sometimes we're in a conflict and we need to make sure however the deal goes down, I win, as opposed to be making sure that everybody wins and maybe even being willing to lose. Notice how Jesus wins. He wins through losing. And it's beautiful by way of his sacrifice. But we need to seek mutually beneficial terms with our opponent. Notice what he says here. If you oppress my daughters, he wants to make sure his daughters are taken care of. That's a fair request. And by the way, you probably shouldn't have any more wives. You already got enough of them. Or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. No more wives, Jacob. That's enough. Thirdly, I'll not harm you and you will not harm me. No more aggressiveness, no more conflict, no more fighting. This heap is a witness and a pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you'll not pass over this heap and this pillar to me and do harm. Before the year, God is the ultimate judge in the matter and that's exactly where they should have started to begin with. And God, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, 
They finally have a covenant in place for peace and reconciliation. And then fifthly, and this might be one of the hardest things of all, because sometimes we find ourselves in opposition and our, temp- our temptation in the midst of opposition is, I'm out of here, I'm done, I don't want to be around whatever this is. But notice how they both abide. And what happens is they now worship together, which blows my mind. After all of this, they spend a moment in worship. If possible, we need to find ways to worship and fellowship, even with our opponents. Again, we like to be black and white about it. Well, you know, you're this bad person. I'm going to judge you and make you pay. You can't be near me anymore. Rather, I know we've had a disagreement. and We haven't always seen eye to eye, but we stand before God. And I love you. And I choose to receive you instead of rejecting you. In verse 54, it says, And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. In the midst of all this, there's a moment of worship, yes, as it should be and how it should have been the whole time. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 18, if possible, if possible, he says, By the way, it's not always possible. There's some people who just don't want to be reconciled. They'd just rather be angry and bitter. And they have to live with that before God and man. But we don't have to. If possible, as far as it depends on you, Paul says, live peaceably with all. Oh, if that would just be our heart with all of us here in this room with each other, with all of us in this room with those that we encounter in our culture, in our workplace, in the marketplace. With wherever we find ourselves, that we would bring grace, love, the beauty of Christ. Oh, God, help us. We've all seen the headlines. We're all longing to see something different. We're all longing to see peace on earth and goodwill toward men, aren't we? Yes. It's very easy to become angry with people who oppose us. If we're not careful, Our unresolved anger will consume us. We need to hear God's call for peace in our lives. Are you listening to what he's calling you to do? Doing everything we can to pursue peace with those who oppose us. As we wrap things up and move to the Lord's table here, I just have a couple questions for you. Are you in conflict this morning? Who do you need to pursue peace with? Perhaps you need peace in your family. Perhaps God is calling you to be the initiator of that peace. Maybe you've been on a bent towards revenge and payback, but this morning you need God's help to be made a peacemaker in the life of your family. The first step in that process is for you to drop your sword that you might bring peace. We ultimately need Jesus the Prince of Peace. For us to have peace on earth, all of us need to seek peace in our relationships, not just peace with each other, but ultimately we need to seek peace with God. So what is your next step this morning? Who do you need to change a heart toward? Is there someone in your world, someone comes up on your screen, when I mention these things, you go, oh yeah, there's that person. Maybe you've had a, a heart of bitterness and anger towards that person, and maybe even right now you need to Change that. Ask God to change your heart to have an attitude of forgiveness. Maybe you need to write them a note of apology or a note of encouragement. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to make a visit. Maybe you need to provide a gift, take them out to lunch, some act of kindness to demonstrate your care and that you love them. As we move to the Lord's table, This morning, we, as I've suggested already, ultimately it's Jesus Christ who is our peace. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him, that is, they're created through Jesus, and they're for Jesus. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's holding everything together even right now. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is our head. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in him, don't miss this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, including us, whether on earth or in heaven, doing what? Making peace by the blood of the cross. Have you made peace with him? Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. And by this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very much invited to join us as we remember the great cost of our salvation as we look to the two elements, the bread and the cup, for all those who've received Christ through faith. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ and the cup which represents his shed blood on our half in full payment for all of our sin once and for all, that we can finally be reconciled to God and we can finally find reconciliation with each other. The Apostle Paul, her first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This admonition from the Apostle Paul in this warning, we see two potential concerns. First is the potential of partaking in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, perhaps you've professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you're holding in contempt with how you're living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But even better yet this morning, make things right in your heart with God, even right now through confession, repentance, and commitment. And then we invite you to freely join us. But the second potential concern is that maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You've never given your life to him. If this is the case, I encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. you ha if you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. We don't want to ask you to participate in anything hypocritical. But again, even better this morning would be for you right now in this moment to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to Christ in faith. Find salvation right now in this moment believing in him and only him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please, we ask that you freely join us in this remembrance. If you have children with you this morning, make sure they understand the gospel, that they've made a profession of faith so they understand what they're participating in with today. If they haven't, then I'd let the elements pass until such time as they understand. As the elements the bread and the cup are passed. Please note that both elements are contained in two cups. There's two cups stacked on each other. So please make sure you get both cups that are stacked together. As we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements. As you are served, we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. So at this time, as I see the elders and deacons coming forward to serve, as they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once. And would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crowfoot to pray for the bread, which was broken for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this communion. Thank you for what you've done for us and sacrificing for us. Thank you for the communion we have together here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and for this remembrance. And we remember you. We remember what you did for us. And we're grateful and thankful. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Deacon Ken Alleman to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we continue in remembrance now, thinking of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed on the cross. And now we have the fruit of the vine before us uh, as a symbol of your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible sacrifice that we can scarcely understand that allows us to have a right relationship between ourselves and God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Heavenly Father, it's been a great time to be with you and with your people and singing your praise and hearing your truth. Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that uh, you would go before us as we know your word promises that you will do. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be a light in the dark world, that we might bring grace, kindness, the sweetness and the presence of Christ to those who don't know you. So use us for your purposes, Lord, that you might receive all the glory, that you might be high and lifted up. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great week. Thank you so much for coming.